0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now, here's a message from one of our pastors. All right, well, if you don't know me, my name is Austin Cooper, and I am the outreach pastor here at Greenwood Baptist Church. And today, we're going to be in Luke chapter seven and also Luke chapter one, if you wanna go ahead and flip there in your Bibles. But I hope you guys had a great Christmas day yesterday with you and your families. Uh, But today, as you know, is the day after Christmas, December 26th. And so when I was preparing to preach this sermon, you know, I kind of didn't know which way to go. Do I talk about something Christmassy, or do I look forward to the new year? Do I wear something Christmassy, or do I wear something new celebrating the new year? Do I talk about all the weight that we gained around the Christmas season, or do I talk about all the weight that we're going to lose in the new year? You know, I just didn't know which way to go because we're kind of caught in between two major things. And as I was uh, praying and preparing for the sermon, I felt like God reminded me that there is a person in the Bible that was very much caught in between two major things happening, kind of the Old Testament, even though he's set in the New Testament, uh, and Jesus' birth and, and coming in his life. And that person is John the Baptist. Like I said, John the Baptist he was around, uh, he's six months older than Christ. Uh, he was a vital part of Jesus' early part of his ministry and even the Christmas story. Yet who he was and kind of his personality was kind of set in the Old Testament like a prophet. He's very much in between the two testaments, his character and who he was. Yet he is a very important part when we talk about the Christmas story or we talk about the life of Jesus. Yet a lot of times we don't hear about John the Baptist when we're talking about the Christmas story. And sometimes we don't really even hear about John the Baptist when we study the life of Christ. Yet he was a vitally important figure for both of those things. In fact, John the Baptist, he was prophesied about in the Old Testament more than any other biblical person outside of Jesus. Um, An angel came to his father to foretell his birth, And his birth was very much like Christ in the sense that it was miraculous. It was not virgin-born, but he was born to a woman who was elderly and also had been barren her entire life. And then in Luke chapter 7, like we'll study, Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest person who has ever lived. And yet we don't really hear about him too much when we talk about the Christmas story or sometimes even the life of Jesus. One theologian, kind of commenting on him being left out a lot of times, says this. She says, John the Baptist is the voice crying in the wilderness, foreseen in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Because it is impossible to sentimentalize him, he plays no role in the Christmas story of popular imagination. Yet Jesus himself says that he is the greatest of all the prophets. John the Baptizer is a uniquely significant figure. His role is to point to Christ as the greatest of all the prophets. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. His role is to point to Christ as the fulfillment of all prophecy. He is therefore the greatest of all the prophets. All four Gospels acknowledge this. Of all biblical characters, John the Baptist is the least likely to be romanticized. (laughs) Another pastor put it like this he said, I think that every nativity should have John the Baptist standing off in the distance, pointing to Jesus. And so today we're going to look at what made John the Baptist so great. And we're going to see that John the Baptist teaches us as believers that really what our lives should be about is paving the way for Jesus and pointing people to Christ. And so if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, We'll start in verse 27, and really we're just going to kind of camp out on one point today, and again, that is that John the Baptist shows us that we as believers must pave the way for Jesus. And so Luke chapter 7, verse 27, if you guys will please stand with me in honor of reading of God's word. This is Jesus speaking about John the Baptist, and this is what he says. He says, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. May God add blessing to his word. You may be seated. And so Jesus himself in this passage calls John the Baptist the greatest person who has ever lived. And we can't separate the fact that Jesus was talking to a Jewish audience And so what Jesus says here would be very shocking to them because we have to understand that John the Baptist at this point was kind of this crazy figure who was living in the wilderness, dressing himself with camel's hair as clothing, eating locusts and honey, and speaking about things that a lot of people could not understand. And Jesus, in front of a Jewish audience, says that he is the greatest person who has ever lived. He is greater than Abraham the Jewish people's father. He is greater than Moses, the person who led them out of slavery. He is greater than David, who is considered to be the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest person who has ever lived. And did you see why he was considered to be so great? Jesus actually quotes prophecy from the Old Testament and says that John the Baptist, he is great simply because he was preparing The way for Jesus. That John the Baptist, his greatness simply comes from the fact that his life, his character, his very being was to prepare the way for Jesus and to point people to Jesus. You see, John the Baptist is great because his life pointed people to Jesus. And I think that the encouragement in this passage is this that a lot of times the enemy gets in our ears and he starts whispering, you're not doing anything great for God with your life. Look at your job, look at your family. You're not doing anything great in the eyes of the Lord. But the encouragement of this passage is this, is whatever you do, whatever domain God has you in in society, that if you are pointing people to Jesus, you are doing a great work work in the eyes of the Lord. That man, if you are a mom of young children, I know that every single day you wake up and it seems like you're doing the same thing, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, changing diapers, feeding them, putting them down for naps, and it can get mundane, and every day you can kind of have this thought that the enemy gets in your head, am I doing anything great in the eyes of the Lord. Well, what this passage can encourage you in is this. If you are pointing your children to the Lord with your life, with your action, with your words, then you are dra- doing a great work in the eyes of God. Those of you that have jobs that you don't think they are doing anything for the Lord, it might be menial, it might be just doing the same thing over and over again. Well, let me encourage you in this that if you show up every single day and you work as if you were working unto the Lord and your coworkers see that there is something different about you and you are pointing them to Jesus, then even if your work is not that satisfying, you are doing something that is great in the eyes of the Lord. Students, you might think that, man, I don't have a lot of friends. I'm made fun of in class. How could I ever have the influence to do something great for God. Well, let me encourage you in this, that even if you don't have a lot of friends, even if you're lonely, even if you're made fun of, that if you are living a life that is obedient to Jesus in your school, in your sports teams, and you don't respond to the people who are being awful to you with hate, but you respond in a Christ-like way, then you are pointing people to Jesus, even those people that are being awful to you. And I can tell you that first-hand experience, that maybe decades from now, people will come to you and say, I know I made fun of you. I know I was awful to you, but your response showed me Jesus. Even if you are lonely in school, even if you don't have much influence, let me tell you this, if you are pointing people to Jesus, you are doing a great work in the eyes of the Lord. You know, I don't think anyone in this church comes to mind as easily as uh, our special needs friends that are in this church. And man, you cannot be around our special needs friends, the children, the adults that are in this church, whether it's a remarkable class or it is um, special needs rodeo or it's a remarkable night that we do. It is impossible as a believer to be around those group of, that group of people and not be pointed to Jesus. Their life, their joy, just the way that they kind of think and just the way that some of them can even express their love for the Lord. It is impossible not to be around our special needs friends and not be pointed to Jesus. And I know that a lot of times parents of special needs adults and kids or whatever, they think, man, will my kids ever do something great in the eyes of the Lord? Well, let me encourage you in this, that this passage says just who they are pointing people to Christ, they are doing great works in the eyes of the Lord. And so John, Baptist, John the Baptist, his, his greatness came from the sense, uh, or just simply from the fact that he pointed people to Jesus with his life. However, did you catch what Jesus said at the end of that verse in 28? Again, he says, I tell you of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. And so this is even further encouragement to us, that if we know Jesus Christ, if we have him as our Lord and Savior, then Jesus, what he says in this passage is, man, John the Baptist is great, but I am greater. John the Baptist is awesome, but I, Jesus, have now come to present something to the world that has never been seen before. And I'm going to introduce the kingdom of God here on earth and people that come into the kingdom of God via a relationship with Christ. They believe in his death. They believe in his resurrection. They are now a part of this kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit now resides in them. And so Jesus says that, again, in John chapter 4, he tells us tells to the woman at the well. He says, no longer will you have to travel to a temple to praise and worship God because now you will worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, Jesus tells us later on in the New Testament, tells us that we are the temple. Our bodies are literally the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what this means is that now we have the very one that is more powerful than John the Baptist— He lives and resides inside of us. And we can do immeasurably more and greater things than even John the Baptist in this world because we have Christ that lives inside of us. That John the Baptist, he baptizes with water, but Jesus who lives in us, he baptizes with fire in the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist, kind of his M.O. again was just to point people away from himself to Jesus and in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 he tells the pharisees this about jesus he says in verse 11 i baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to god but someone is coming soon who is greater than i am so much greater that i am not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals he will baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire See, again, John the Baptist, he constantly was just pointing people to Jesus. And his greatness was derived from the fact that he paved the way for Jesus to do Jesus-type stuff. And this even started when John the Baptist was an unborn baby. If you'll flip to Luke chapter 1, we're going to start here in verse 39 here in a second. But I want to give you a little bit of background here. Um, In Luke chapter 1, an angel comes to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. And he tells them that you and your wife, even though you're old, even though that she's been barren all her life, you are going to conceive a son and he is going to prepare the way for the Savior. Zechariah, um, John the Baptist's father, he does not believe the angel. And the angel strikes him mute for the duration of Elizabeth, which is John the Baptist's uh, mom, her pregnancy. So Zechariah is mute for about nine months Um, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, miraculously, and then later on in Luke chapter 1, that same angel goes to Mary, the mother of Jesus, tells her everything that he tells her about her being able to conceive the Son of God via the Holy Spirit. Mary believes the angel, I believe much like it was credited to Abraham as righteousness, I believe Mary was credited righteousness in that moment when she believed the angel telling her everything about Jesus being uh, conceived in her belly via the Holy Spirit. And so we pick up in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. Mary and Elizabeth are related. The text says that they are cousins. Uh, Some other people think that Elizabeth was the aunt of Mary. But Mary is visiting Elizabeth. Again, John the Baptist is in Elizabeth's belly and Jesus is in Mary's belly. In verse 39, it says this, "'A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child,' this is John the Baptist, "'leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, "'God has blessed you above all women.'" And your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And so we have this scene here where these ladies get together, and they, again, they knew God. These are not unbelievers coming together, and and then Jesus comes upon them. But what happens is the baby. The unborn baby, John the Baptist, gets around the unborn baby, Jesus, and he leaps for joy. And that causes a kind of catalytic thing to start happening, where the Holy Spirit falls on Elizabeth, and she starts praising Jesus and encouraging Mary. There's a worship service that starts here because this unborn baby, John the Baptist, leapt for joy. And let's add some humanity to this scene, right? Right? Because typically when two pregnant ladies get into the same room, usually a worship service isn't what breaks out Usually it's some sort of self-deprecating battle that breaks out, right? Like, oh, look at you. I can't even tell you're pregnant. You're glowing. You're like a stick. Not me. I'm like Buddha over here with my big belly. Come rub my belly. And others ladies like, no, no, you're not Buddha. I don't need to rub your belly. That's ridiculous. Look at you. You're glowing. I can't even tell you're six months pregnant. Not me. Look at my thighs. Oh my gosh. I'm like King Kong. Ah. That's typically kind of what happens, right? But here we see that worship happens from these women of God. And the start was this unborn baby who leapt for joy, saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls on Elizabeth. She praises Jesus. And Mary starts to even understand that much more who she has in her belly. And in verse 46, Mary, Mary responds. And it says, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made the promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. You see, we sing the song, Mary, Did You Know, around Christmas time. And I don't want to kill this song for you, but the truth is, is that Mary knew. Mary knew who she had in her belly. Part of the reason is that she believed the angel, but part of the reason is, is because John the Baptist paved the way for the Holy Spirit to come upon Elizabeth, for Elizabeth to praise Jesus and Mary to start beholding who she had in her belly, in her womb. And I think this is a great encouragement to us because there are a lot of believers, and I want to show you that again, Mary was a believer. She believed Yet when John the Baptist lived his kind of, or he leapt for joy, she started beholding what she already knew to be true. And so the encouragement to us is this, is that since 2020, there have been a myriad of different reasons why a lot of Christians have gotten out of church. And because of that, a lot of Christians have now stopped pursuing and fellowshipping and being passionate about Jesus. And I believe that when we live a life like John the Baptist and we are leaping for joy about the things of Christ and we are pointing people to Jesus, that not only encourages non-believers to come to know Jesus, that also encourages believers to stop just kind of thinking about what they have and beholding what they have. Last week, we wrapped uh, about five or 600 gifts at Teske's down the street here. Uh, to show God's love in practical ways. And uh, what would happen is people would bring their gifts for us to wrap. You know, we kind of designed this to help moms that were getting a lot of gifts, but really who we've blessed is the dads. You know, they're like, heck yeah, all right, this is awesome. Here, wrap my gift. I won't even take credit for it because my wife will definitely know. Uh, But we wrapped about 600 gifts, and one of the guy's uh, uh, gifts that we wrapped, um, we gave him uh, the card that just simply says, we hope to, that this gift shows you that God loves you and shows it to you in a practical way with no strings attached. So we wrapped his gift, gave him that card, and then one of the ladies on our team prayed over him. And my number is on the back of our smiley face card that we, that we pass out with all the outreaches. And about 20 minutes later, I get, this mes- I get a message from this guy, and he says, hey, I just want you to know that I am a believer in Jesus, but I haven't thought about him in months. And he said, when you guys wrapped my gift and prayed over me and told me that God loves me, it reignited my passion to follow Christ in a new way. And he said, this is the greatest gift that anyone could give me this Christmas season. You see, there is a whole group of people that if we just live our lives as John the Baptist lived his life and we point people to Jesus, not only will non-believers come to know Christ, but believers will be reignited and their passion for Christ and their zeal for Christ will become that much more. And I know that I am the outreach guy, and I'm constantly preaching. We need, to, we need to share the gospel with unbelievers. And that is true because that is literally why we are doing church. That is why we are the church, is to see people come to know Christ. But the truth is, is you share the gospel with 10 non- non-believers, and maybe two or three will come to know the Lord. That's up to the God. That's no, really not up to us. But you reignite 10 believers who already know Christ, and their passion for Jesus becomes that much more that will change the world. So John the Baptist, he not only pointed people that didn't know Jesus to Christ, he also paved the way for people that already knew him to experience Jesus in a new way. We'll pick up here in verse 67. John the Baptist is finally born. Again, Zechariah hadn't his father hadn't talked in 9 months. And then in verse 67, it doesn't specifically say this, but I kind of believe that Zechariah is holding John the Baptist for the first time. And he begins to be able to speak for the first time in nine months. And we're going to see what he says. In verse 67, it says, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, anywhere John the Baptist goes, people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gave this prophecy Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 69, he has sent us a savior from the royal line of his servant, David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. So who's John the Baptist's dad talking about? He's not talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about Jesus. Verse 71, now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Now he'll turn his attention to John. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. So again, Zechariah had not spoken in nine months. He holds the son that he had waited his entire life to have, and he praises Jesus first. Again, let's add some humanity to the situation. That'd be like my wife and I not being able to have a baby our entire life, and us being in our 60s or 70s and maybe even 80s, and finally an angel telling me that I'm going to have a baby with my wife. And I don't believe that angel, and I can't speak for nine months. Finally, I get to hold my baby. And the very first thing I say when I hold my baby is I look at my wife and I say, hey, you know your cousin or your aunt's baby? I mean, sorry, your cousin's baby, your niece's baby? He's way better than this one right? It doesn't really happen. But this is how John the Baptist was. This is how it worked. As anyone he got around, they instantly forgot about John and praised Jesus. And that was the type of life that he led. That is the type of life that he, the kind of calling that he had. And I think that this will define how effective a church will be in the coming days, how effective believers will be in society. Is are we pointing people to Christ like John the Baptist, or are we pointing them to something that is secondary? Are we pointing people to the things of the Lord, or are we pointing to things that do matter but aren't as important as Christ? And I think that a lot of times as a church in a whole, as a whole in America, we fall short in this, in this respect. That instead of pointing people to Jesus— we point people to other things. Like instead of pointing people to Jesus, we point people to politics. Or instead of pointing people to Jesus, we point people to sports and to culture. And instead of pointing people to Jesus, we point people to a link to our social media page that they can buy something from us. And again, I'm not saying that any of those three things are bad. A lot of those things are good. But what defined John the Baptist is I'm sure he had hobbies, I'm sure he had interests, but he was known for the primary thing that he did was with his life was pointing people to Jesus and paving the way for them to experience Christ in a new way. And I think a lot of times as, as churches, we kind of either point people in the wrong direction or we point people to things that don't ultimately matter as much as Christ. And one of the things that has been an encouragement to me is just simply how kingdom-minded our church is here at Greenwood. You know, in the past three years, we have been able to train nearly 200 other churches across five different countries in how we show love in our community. And you know what's kind of cool is now we've been able to bring a lot of our members to help train these churches all across our nation and even sometimes the world, but I can tell you firsthand that there is a difference between kind of a normal church doing normal things and a John the Baptist type church doing kingdom-minded things. Because when we come into these churches, any, any number of those 200 churches, I can instantly tell you how effective they're going to be when it comes to us training them in outreach because they, if we come in and they're instantly kind of talking about politics or sports or some sort of trying to sell us something, like, I'm excited to be there. We're excited to be there and give them what God has given us. But I know it's going to kind of just stay within that church and that community. But man, when we show up to a John the Baptist type church to train them, and they're talking about Jesus right off the bat, they're talking about what Christ has done in their life, they're talking about who they're reaching out to, they're talking about the Word of God, They're talking about even their struggles and their doubts and how God is kind of holding their hand through that. That is the type of church that I get excited to train. And that is the type of church that will take whatever God allows us at Greenwood to give them and that they will not only change their community, that they will change the entire world through them being the John the Baptist type church. And I want to encourage us in this, that I believe that we have ourselves here at Greenwood a John the Baptist-type church. Like, I think there's still probably work to be done. If I'm being honest with us, if I'm being honest with myself, I think I probably still hear more political talk than Jesus talk in our lobbies. But I think for the most part, we have a John the Baptist-type church. Three or four weeks ago, we had the opportunity to baptize a woman who came to know Christ in England— through our online services. Sammy, if you're watching, happy Boxing Day. We love you. She flew across the Atlantic Ocean just to be a part of our church here, and she got baptized three or four weeks ago by one of our pastors here at this church. And it was cool listening to her story. I was talking to her afterwards, and she said that when she walked into this building— she saw our people and she saw the joy that we had and the peace and and just the vibrancy that we had for the things of God. And she said that it made her want to live a life that is worthy to the righteousness that Christ had imparted on her. And man, that is such an encouragement because again, that's nothing that our staff members did. That's not you know a, a preaching point. That's not a worship service. That is simply her walking into this church and being around you guys. And being pointed to Jesus. I have a friend that I met uh, this past year who moved here from Afghanistan in 2018. And him and his family are Muslims, but he's been visiting here off and on. And he came one time and enjoyed it so much, he decided to come about a month later a second time. And he was filling up his coffee over there in the lobby. And when he heard the worship service start, he sprinted because he did not want to miss it. And he was spilling his coffee all over himself and all over the floor. And afterwards, he said that he sprinted to the worship service because he wanted to be around our people, praising the God that he doesn't even believe in yet. Because he wanted to be around you guys, because you point people to Jesus. We set up a free glow stick booth at our city's Christmas light walkthrough, and we had families from our church sign up for every single night in December. And we honestly thought there would be four or five people sign up because we know how busy Christmas season can get. And every single night of December leading up to Christmas, except I think one, there was a family from Greenwood giving out glow sticks, praying for people, and telling people that we wanted to show them that God loves them in a practical way. Well, a lady gets a glow stick for her and her children, and she starts walking through the uh, Christmas lights. And when she came back, Uh, the team said that she was just staring at the team for like 10 to 15 seconds, not saying anything. And then finally, she talks to the team and she said, man, you guys just radiate the joy in the presence of the Lord. See, again, that's not us on staff doing anything. That is you guys pointing people to Jesus. And you know, when I was called to ministry, I didn't want to just be a part of kind of a, a normal church doing normal things. Like I wanted to be a part of a church that was a John the Baptist type church. I wanted to be a part of a church that a woman would get saved in England and fly across the Atlantic Ocean to just to be baptized at. I wanted to be a part of a church that a a man could come from a historically hostile religion towards Christianity and start running so fast that he's spilling his coffee because he wants to be around our church members praising a God that he doesn't even believe in yet. I want to be a part of a church that when our church is in society, that it is said of us that we radiate the joy in the presence of the Lord. And this is something that God is doing in and through this church, and it is something to cherish. Like I said, there will always be work to be done, but it is something to cherish. If you are out there today and you've heard me talk a lot about pointing people to Jesus well, the truth is, is that the Bible says that you can't live your life good enough apart from Christ and point anyone to Jesus. You can't save yourself through good works, that there's nothing you can do to save yourselves. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So no matter how much money we give to the poor, no matter how many times we go to church, we cannot save ourselves. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. See, God loved us enough that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins, and that he did not stay dead, that three days later he resurrected from the grave, defeating death, defeating sin, and allowing anyone in the entire world to, to now be saved through a relationship with him. And if you're out there today and you have never started a relationship with Christ by asking him to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, and making him your Lord and your Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity here in a second to do that. You know, the Bible makes it real clear that to, to come to know Christ, that we must do three things. We call it the ABCs of coming to know Christ. That A, you must admit that you are a sinner. That B, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he lived a life without sin. That he died on a cross for your sins. And that he came back to life three days later. And C, that you must confess with your mouth that you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Lord. That you are going to make him not just your Savior, but your Lord. And you're going to follow him the rest of your days. And so if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and to save you and to start living for him, we're going to give you an opportunity here in a second. I'm going to pray just a simple model prayer, which is a prayer asking Christ to come into your heart and to save you. You can say it in your own words, or you can repeat the exact words that I'm going to say. But if you would like to do that, I'd like to give you an opportunity right now. So if I can have everyone bow your heads and close your eyes you would like to come to know Christ for the very first time today, repeat this prayer after me. God, I realize that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But God, I also know you love me enough to send me Jesus. God, I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. That he died on the cross for my sins and that he came back to life three days later. Jesus, I'm inviting you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to become my Lord and my Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just said that prayer for the first time, inviting Christ into your heart, will you look up at me? If you said that prayer for the very first time, would you just look up at me? I haven't seen you yet. Just keep on looking. I see you. If you said that prayer for the very first time, whether in person or online, there's a number up on our screen as well as a QR code, both on the screen and in the bulletin that you were given. And if you did pray to receive Christ, we would love to know that. And you can text that number on the screen or or do the QR code and simply just say, I did it. We're not going to ask anything of you. We're not even going to ask that you join our church. We simply want to walk with you in this new understanding, this new life that you were given and coming to know Jesus. So here in a second, I'm going to pray and we'll have announcements and then we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you that, Lord, you are doing something great in this church Lord, that so many people are living their lives in ways that are pointing people to Christ in society, in society, in their domains, in their families. God, we pray that you will continue to show us ways that we can even point to Jesus in a clearer way. God, whether it's our work, whether it's our families, even whether it's our church. God, we thank you that you allow us to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. God, we feel honored to be a part of a church that is pointing people to Jesus. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.